Hi, it's Eric. We're gonna do this really, really fast because I have to run to a doctor appointment, doctor's appointment. Um, I won't go into full details because I don't want to bore you and it's not gonna do anything for my anxiety. But I had planned to get in quickly. It's not a, it's not a sick thing either. Uh, I had rounded up some numbers, already left one message. Are you taking new patients? Haven't heard back, but I was a little bothered coming into work. So I reached out to the one I went to before. And they said, uh, yeah, if it's just a routine thing, uh, January. I said, well, well, this is kind of a, it, it, this is not an emergency, but it's like half an emergency. So I'm going over to get this looked at. Uh, but I, we were almost going to do two podcasts today. I was going to give you this now and then Alex later. If everything happens in a timely fashion, we can do that because there's a couple of things I want to get to with Alex, including people's Spotify is coming out. They're they're telling everybody what they listen to. I would like a what I watched on streaming version of that. So I figure Alex and I can give you some, some shows that we enjoyed this year and... Last week, we talked about green bean casserole, which I had found out over the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. Um, people have strong opinions about both ways. Taking that back a month, people have strong opinions about candy corn. So candy corn equals green bean casserole equals what for the holiday season? We'll do that later on. Um, I th- we're, Again, we're going to keep things kind of quick here. Um, the Waterville... Amphitheater was approved four to two with one abstaining vote by the Waterville Council. Um, looks like it's because this took so long. I was reading this thing might get up and running next year. That seemed ambitious, but now it, it appears to be 2024 and there will be some guidelines in place, like no more than 30 shows. Got to wrap it up by 1030. I, I don't think they can compete when there's football nights. Um and the Hunter Brooks guy has has nodded his head yes to everything that um, all the stipulations put down before him. And as I mentioned the last time we talked about this, I'm not going to give you my opinion again because we've done it several times. But that thing is zone commercial. Not that the average person uh, knows to ask about how something is zoned when they're moving to a place. But we know for next time. Because I, I, the people that are living and moved to Waterville for peace and quiet and no traffic and one stoplight. You have my sympathy. Now, um, there was a one woman's quote in the lead up to this in Sunday's Blade, and she said, if this goes through, I'm going to consider moving. Um, this allows me to go to a, a couple of things I may or may not have shared with you before. Uh, I probably did. I go back to 2012 before politics got wild. And I, I, I think I told you this before, so I'll, I'll keep this brief. There was an article. I think it was in The Atlantic. I forget the writer. I hope the article still exists when I pull it up out, out of my bookmarks. Every four years, again, this is before 2016, and the world went, like, everybody went to their corners, to the extremes. Every four years, uh, people say, if, if, if my person doesn't win, I'm moving to Canada or something wild like that. Most people did not move. They found out that it wasn't as crazy as they thought it was going to be. They found out that this wasn't so bad, that I can totally live through this. This barely affects my life. Again, things changed in 2016. Um, uh, one of the other things that I may have shared during that was, this line I like to throw out a lot now, 
we human beings are absolutely horrific at predicting how we think our future selves will think and feel. I know that's a lot of words. It's kind of confusing to me to say it. We are very bad at predicting how our future selves, how we think we will think or feel. In other words, again, we have more resilience than we ever give ourselves credit for. That very woman who says, who, who may be considering leaving, look, maybe things will work against her. She can't find a place she wants to live. It's too expensive still, even though it looks like housing things, housing prices will collapse here soon enough, especially in the wintertime. Um, but there will be people, I guarantee it, who were against this happening in Waterville. And then once, assuming it all comes to fruition, it's built and whatnot, and they go, this wasn't so bad after all. I actually kind of like it. They're bringing some things here I like. Or maybe they won't like it, but they will find it far more manageable and far more livable and far less chaotic than they were expecting. I think the one woman whose quote I just gave you also said that like this was literally in her backyard. And I don't, I don't know this specific area. I can't visualize it. But there was a number next to it that said where she was was 2,700 feet from where this would be built. Now I, I realize there'll be parking lots and traffic coming in and out, but 2,700 feet, if my math is right, and half the time, it always is, uh, 2,700 feet. So if, I, if my math is right, that's like eight and a half football fields. Eight and a half football fields. That might be where my condo is from the St. John Stadium, which can get pretty busy. And you know what I hear? I hear some cheering. I hear some music every now and then in a distance. And it it's not raucous by any means, at least where I live. Um, and I don't often have to get out that way. So I don't have to deal with the traffic. But we'll, we'll see. That, that woman's backyard is, is very large. So we'll see. Point being here, um, it might not be as bad as some of the opponents of this think. Ironically enough, I came across a story today that said, Victor Frankl's esteemed book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I read, and I'll tell you how and why I read it, God, probably eight years or so ago. It's, it's amazing that it took me that long in my Jewish adult life to come across that book. Uh, apparently, that book is enjoying some life, some popularity, surprisingly not on TikTok. When I read the article, I thought it was going to, because it said, Victor Frankl's book, popular on social, I expected TikTok, like everything else. It's actually Instagram. I'm excited that people are discovering this book, especially as there is a too large a wave of anti-Semitism rising up. That's what you get when you have ideas like Kanye West and Kyrie Irving and the movie that he tweeted out, which hasn't, I, I don't find the apology all that acceptable, nor do I feel he's seen how he hurt people and really brought out some of the worst people the, the Holocaust deniers, like it doesn't get to be much lower in the sewer of humanity than, no, that didn't happen. Um, So it's nice to see this book enduring this life and this popularity right now. So I read that, I forget who suggested that book, probably my former therapist, uh, Chris Pawson. Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, Victor Frankl uh, takes you through his early life and then him living through being in a concentration camp, a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, there's two parts to the book, because I believe he is also a psychologist. Um, and, and you only really have to, if you 
want to get out of it what most people do, and the point being, well, if he lived through that, I can live through this. Uh, you only have to read the first part. And it's a pretty simple read. It's not a long book at all. The second half of the book, I think, is some of his theorizing. I, I forget because I have, I might have read that twice and I've read the front of the book five or six times. Now, I did not take out of it at the time. Well, if, if he got through that, I can get through X, Y, and Z in, in my life because I like to say that all of our problems are personal and they are of our perspectives and everything is relative to what's around us. Um, we can go into that another time, but it's a book that I would suggest you give a read to or dive into or finish it if you had. Uh, what I did take of it was I read a lot about the Holocaust, both in Hebrew school and in regular school. It was a part of learning when we would do World War II history. Now, mind you, as you've probably heard me mention before, where I grew up, um, there, there, there are far more Jewish kids and families than there are here. There's 2,000 here. In fact, so much so, to give you an example, um, in the Philadelphia public school system where my brother's uh, Phoenix goes, he gets off for the high holidays in September, uh, Rosh Hashanah. And I think they give kids the option whether they want to take, like the week after, Yom Kippur off. So you can see why this was a part of my education growing up. And for people here, I could see why it might not have been unless you were Jewish. Um, but this was as graphic chilling, grim, and gripping as any depiction of the Holocaust I have ever read. He is in intricate detail. Uh, It's the kind of book and the kind of writing where you don't need the movie because the pictures are in your head. If I'm not mistaken, there are some pictures at the end, and they're horrific. If you have not seen Holocaust pictures before, and I'm not talking of like what's left of Auschwitz, I'm talking about like people who were there at the time and what their bodies look like. Uh, I believe they are in this book. If not, they are easy and harrowing to see, to, to find and see. Um, but that's what this book did. Didn't necessarily change my perspective of going, well, if he can get through that, I can get through this easy problem. Because to me, this problem was taking over my life. A lot of that was anxiety, but... Again, our problems are very personal, and I'm not going to tell you what should, how you should or should not feel. I'll try to offer some insight best I can, but I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't be worried about that because clearly you are. You have your reasons. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, speaking of problems, I have, since I have really jumped into sharing my mental health journey and trying to help others, my endeavor from that TED Talk five years ago was. I am not a replacement for a clinician or anything like that. I don't endeavor to be that. I do not, don't, I just want to empower you to help yourself. Now, over the years, I've picked up things that have helped me because of all the reading I've done, all the appointments I've had, and I probably have uh, some sharper, more fierce weapons to combat my mind than most people have who are just starting out on their mental health journey. And I will give you those weapons and let them let you use them how you'd like. Um, so I just want to offer the insight like that and that, hey, you can do this too. You can get help. Sometimes I say hope is a four-letter word. Often it is. But with the right help, 
hope is actually truly meaningful and you can be in a better place. Maybe not cu- not cured, definitely not cured, but you can certainly feel better than what you're feeling. And I want to get you to that. I want to get you to realize that. Um, I have some wanderlust in me. I also have impatience, which is why I won't travel around the earth. I have my dogs. It's hard to travel when you have two dogs. Not, I mean, I could if I wanted to. I probably have the resources to pay somebody to watch them and go jet off somewhere. But I actually have some travel anxieties. Like, what happens if blank? Like, what happens if what's bugging me right now happens while I'm in Japan? I would freak out. My my raging anxiety would reappear. Um, and I, But I have some wanderlust. I'm envious of people who, who love to travel so much. And the stories of people who have... Um, Things just weren't working how they wanted them them to be here. So they picked up and decided to move across the planet. Now they're teaching English and they love their life. That's kind of neat. I came across something like that that I would actually consider. There was a story on Vox. The title was, Poor countries, Poor countries are developing a new paradigm of mental health care. America is taking note. Let me... Uh, so they talked about like Western African countries, uh, Ghana, a nation of 32 million people. There's only 62 psychiatrists. Now look, we have more of a mental health crisis because of our circumstances. And again, everything is relative and perspective. We have more of a mental health crisis here than they do there. But 32 million, 62 psychiatrists. Zimbabwe, 15 million people, 19 psychiatrists. 47 psychiatrists and 48 million people of Uganda. Again, our problems are different. There are more problems here. Some of the problems those people have are just finding food. But because they're, in a way, accustomed to those tribulations of life, it's not as much of a mental issue as some of the things that we deal with mentally. Again, everything is circumstance. And I don't mean to minimize um, absolute hunger. Where is the part that drew me to this? All right. Specifically, these nations have been serving as a proven ground for a model called community-based care. As I continue with this, I think you're going to see that I already do a lot of this. Um, Community-based care were non-specialist providers. Hi, me. Or lightly trained lay people. Very much me. Picture someone like your grandmother, not a doctor, or hey, me. Deliver brief mental health interventions in informal settings like homes or parks. Um, now there's some spiritual aspect of this they talked about, which the article kind of pans. It's kind of like the, oh, just pray it away kind of thing where this is more practical and realistic where the things that I do here, I could travel and instead of teaching English, go to a country like this and have a chat with somebody and get them in a better mental health headspace. Somewhere in this article, I think they mentioned something about like orange benches in um, in Central Park where something similar happens. But it's considering the enormity of the mental health crisis that was here, but obviously magnified by COVID, um, we need to try anything and everything. So I hope there are people in this country who are not hand-waving away um, mental health solutions coming from these poor African countries because they're working. And I think I'm a, I'm a product of these things bringing results. Again, I am not going to cure you. All I want to do is get you over the hump to help yourself. And if it takes a while to get there, as it does now, to, to schedule an appointment, I'll offer you what I can. 
um, what's what's worked for me. And if you choose to take it on, great. Because again, we're all individual. Our problems are all different, or though we could have the same problem, but the solutions are not the same. That's where mental health is still such a mystery as opposed to physical health. If you tear your ACL, we're both going to have surgery. Sorry, you might have rehab. It's rehab or surgery. It's a lot different when it comes to the mind. And again, that's why there's still a stigma because we don't have the accuracy with imaging. And it's me just saying it's this, this, and this as opposed to an x-ray going, okay, that's going to need surgery. But in a metaphorical way, we can do microsurgery on the mind. And I swear, this is the first and only time I've ever like given more than two seconds of thought to going somewhere else on the planet thinking I could survive. Go to these places and go, here's what I've learned because here's what I've dealt with. Oh, and the other thing is they said, um, they're aiming to help people in these countries who have things like me. Uh, the depression and anxiety caused my by my bipolar 2. Bipolar 1, schizophrenia, other really serious mental disorders, uh, psychiatry is needed. Not someone sitting under a tree saying, here's what helped me. But for the problems in day-to-day life, which is sometimes can be crippling, here's what could work. Community-based mental health care in the middle of Ghana could be something that we could use here.